John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is the Omnibus. You have accessed entry 1413.IS5720, certificate number 40450. Waterbeds. It's happening, the biggest savings event of the year, the Waterbed Warehouse's Marathon Sale. Yes, over 2,000 bids have been brought in especially for the sale and have been made ready for immediate delivery. We've talked about this at least once before. Your parents are boomers. Yes. Could not be more boomers. They're boomers. They're howdy doody watching Mickey Mouse Club member boomers. Um, so how I mean you you only knew them later in their uh in their mid period, but how do you think they spent the sixties? You 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 tend to portray them as fairly square. Do you think they uh did they have a rock and roll phase? Yeah, my dad played in a uh, played keyboards for some Everett acid rock band. Acid rock? I mean, to the degree that you could have keyboards in an acid rock band. <laughs> well, Emerson, Lake, and Palmer. Um, <laughs> tell me more. Do you think that uh, during his acid rock phase, he ever smoked a cigarette? No, absolutely no. not. So it, not- this, this was him and some nerd friends, I think. Um, did and, they grow their I, hair long? Did he have long hair, he sideburns? Did, he did not. Oh, well, maybe sideburns. He had a mustache when I was a kid. You know, yeah, okay. In, in the seventies, when okay. everybody did. Slow down. I think he. Uh, I think he might have got into it via college radio. If that tells you what kind of a band this is, it does. Um, Do you think your mom ever wore a headband? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. The, the thing about my parents is they were married quite young. Um, I think my. Let's see. My mom was born in. 52, which means, yeah, I think they were engaged before her 20th birthday. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. So they were, they were, uh, flower, flower children, children. Yes. Right. Except without all the free love. Right. You know, they were, they were sensibly waiting for marriage, I'm sure, but, um, they got right to it. Well, they'd been married for a couple of years when I was born. But I mean, they got right to, oh, oh do by, you think they didn't have sex until a couple but, of years but later? But by right to it, <laughs> tell me what you mean by it. <laughs> But, so yeah, I would, but my mom was still like 21 or 22 when I was born. So what do you think is the, <clears throat> between let's say 1968 and 1982, Okay, what's the uh, closest they got to, uh, to living, you know, uh, alternatively? I they, mean, they didn't have, uh, I mean, by alternative, you don't mean a commune, but, um, no, but like a, they moved overseas in okay. 1982, so that's a pretty freewheeling. Hey, let's um, let's cut loose. Let's rent out our house in Edmonds and uh, just head for Asia and we'll, with with three kids, and we'll figure it all out. Although, I mean, they they went to Asia because he was he a was contract work, lawyer. He, he was working for a lawyer. Yeah, yeah. right. Um, in fact, all their all my kind of childhood freewheeling stories turn out to be kind of fake because. Sure, we were, um, you know, spending ten dollars a week on groceries, but that's because my dad was in law school. That wasn't actual poverty. <laughs> that was that was a specific kind of uh, middle class white person poverty. Did they go to rock festivals? No, like is a Gordon Lightfoot conference at the Seattle Center Coliseum a rock festival? I bet you would have smelled some marijuana in the air. 
Maybe, but they would have been very disapproving of it. Did you ever have a beaded curtain uh, instead of a door in any of your homes? No. Um, you know, some avocado and gold uh, uh, kitchen appliances, maybe. Okay. okay. But really... It's not that crazy. No, like maybe the craziest thing was, um, <laughs> you know, for some reason my... Uh, well, my grandpa had been in Germany after the war, so we had kind of uh, uh, like a, some German Christmas stuff, like one of those little helicopters things. Oh, yeah, that where the, you light the candle. Well, the and... candle makes the thing spin. I think, weirdly, we had one of those on our mantelpiece year-round. Okay. Not exactly counterculture. Modern art? Any modern art? Mm, not even close, <laughs> Okay, I think. Okay. By the time my parents could afford any kind of style at all, they were already living overseas and had, you know, Asian screens and calligraphy right 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 oh well that's kind of interesting it is but they didn't come by it the way like uh the the, the normal person would have here here in seattle where it's like i'm gonna have a uh, here's my look rice paper screen it was their aesthetic but it was also um hey look at this great thing i just found for you know 17 bucks down at the antique market now did you and mindy ever go through a phase where you were a little bit I mean, you guys still go to see indie rock, and you have some modern art, although it tends to be representational. Yeah. Um, did you ever have a... Did Mindy ever wear a headband? I mean, what would that even look like in the early 2000s? What, yeah. what, what what's, what's rebellion there? I guess uh, wearing too tight of a t-shirt when not, you've got a few extra pounds? Not vaccinating your kids? Well, that's kind of not... <laughs> We we were not the we were not the woo woo people, although we had some friends who were. I guess I've never seen a, a picture of you where your hair went over your ears. It's very short right now, but this is calculated. I know exa- I need to be on TV in exactly three weeks. Oh, and and you 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 do a thing where you putt over, counting on the ball to spin around and get in the hole. Yeah, like I'm oh. uh, I'm playing 4D chess every time oh, I go get a haircut. Oh, no kidding! Because I'm going to be on TV in three weeks, but they're not going to cut my hair for it, which means I need to have it the exact right length. But a month thereafter, I'm going to be on. I got to do Jeopardy again, but they will trim it that day, so then I can get back down. There's a lot of math that goes this into this. This is science. I didn't know was happening. Yeah. But I'm, you know, I'm a kind of a slide rule kind of guy. So yeah. I, I don't even know what my counterculture signifiers. Took the pocket protector out and just let those pens bleed into your shirt. <laughs> you can't do that. <laughs> I, got, I love that you were offended by the suggestion. What are you talking about? I, I, I noticed the, we were watching a racer head the other night. I, speaking of counterculture signifiers of, yep. the, of the late seventies. And I noticed a racer, the Henry, the main guy has a pocket protector. For sure he does. I didn't realize what a, what a signifier that was. Yeah. I mean, I guess he, we learned that he has some kind of a square day job in a printing factory. So I assume that's why. Yeah. And it later goes along with the dream of him being turned into erasers. That's a reference just for just for our friends. But I don't know who who actually wore a pocket protector besides nerds, engineers. Did they really or, yeah. is, or did it just get used for that? No, all you have to do is have a pen bleed into your pocket once and never again. I have it my pen bleed often I you know just a ballpoint pen I forgot about in like an overnight case. Yeah. That will bleed, but I don't they don't sell pocket protectors for uh for laptop cases and, uh, no. and carry-ons. I mean, pen pen technology has improved somewhat. I think pens used to bleed a lot more. I still get leaky pens a lot, and you just live with it. Yeah, I guess you do. Pants pockets, I guess. Most of the, the issue was saved by people not wearing shirts with breast pockets anymore. I insist on all my shirts having breast pockets. Even your T-shirts. I do. I do. Unless it's a band T-shirt that says some stupid thing. I have T-shirts with breast pockets. Yeah. I mean, I, I I got used to them when I smoked cigarettes. There was a good cigarette pocket. And then you end up just putting stuff there. I'll just put, you know, I put my mask there. I've never once put anything there. It's really? a weird place for a bulge. You get a you get kind of a one-breasted bulge. I put stuff in my in the breast pocket of a t-shirt all the time. And and in my uh dress shirts, God, I I always have something in there. In my jackets, I will often discover, you know, in, a, in an inside jacket pocket, uh, like a, a blazer or a sports coat, I will often find some weird ticket stub from my life past. 
Yeah, but... the inside pocket of my jackets all have 38 specials in them. <laughs> right. Doesn't leave a lot of room. No. <laughs> Gotta have a little ivory-handled revolver, of course, but... Well, it may be uh, the, the difference in our ages, which we, which we uh, use all the time to describe our, our different experiences of the 70s. And but, which is almost meaningless to anyone not born in exactly our time frame. <laughs> right, exactly. Somebody wrote me the other day and they were like, I'm, I was born in 79, but I really wish I were a millennial. And I was like, that is the opposite of what everyone else says. Congratulations. <laughs> um, but also probably because, um, you know, my family had more... Uh, well, tendency to fringe, you know, more, they just had more fringe elements. My older brothers and sister were all boomers in their own right. And so, but, but we're younger or maybe, maybe almost exactly the same age as your parents. My, but they didn't have, but they didn't have two fifties and go right on into the seventies like my parents did. No, they were, they were hippies and, and, uh, and marijuana smokers. Hippies and yippies. My dad was a member of the greatest generation. Uh, but he was also, you know, tried to stay in the game. And so, you know, had sideburns in the fifties. He was, he was, you know, a Johnny Carson type who kept wearing plaid jackets Long past a time where now we would say, hey, 52-year-old, like... Time to retire. Yeah, those. why don't you transition more more gracefully into middle age? Uh, and I think my mom smoked marijuana at a Bee Gees concert. Um, Someone passed it down and with the smooth harmonies of the Bee Gees mm-hmm. wafting at her, she could not say no. And then I think in the, in the mid-80s when my sister was in her marijuana phase... She brought home some marijuana and said, Mom, we're going to make marijuana brownies and you're going to eat one. Fun. And my mom said, okay. And they made marijuana brownies and they ate them. And needless to say, my mom did not become addicted to marijuana. Well, what happened? Did it, it was lo- always did a possibility. It, did, did it loosen her up at all? I don't, I wasn't there. I think I was out doing my homework somewhere. Pretending, uh, to pretending to be fun and at a party when I was really at the library. But, uh, my dad didn't smoke marijuana or do any drugs because he had gotten sober in the sixties, but he definitely tried to be a guy in the, in the open shirt collar era. And it involved in the late 1970s buying a waterbed. Now my mother was always to naturally conservative to own a waterbed, but my dad followed the trends. Uh, you know, he, he went to Est and he, he read, I'm okay. You're okay. And I think at one point my brother left a copy of the Eagles greatest hits and he would pop that in, try and understand it. He liked life in the fast lane. He believed that that song really conveyed a thing. That summed him up. Um, but you know, he, uh, he bought a waterbed because at the time waterbeds, uh, communicated a, a whole thing. What year did he buy his waterbed? 19. He was early in the waterbed game. Um, well, let me, let me brief you on the history of waterbeds and then we'll get to my dad's waterbed. Okay. Because I have family waterbeds as well. Well, so now when I was when I was asking about your family's alternative uh, culture, you never you didn't associate waterbeds with alternative nature. It's because my parents never had one, but my grandparents, my conservative Southern grandparents, uh, became waterbed adopters in the maybe mid eighties. Okay, um, and I think kept theirs. Possibly into the early Clinton era. Okay. I'm trying to think how long they kept theirs. And did you ever have the opportunity to, I mean, I'm guessing you've been on it, but did you ever sleep on it? Never slept on it, but you know, they sure were, they sure were a kick to roll around on and get yelled at for jumping on. Yeah. Did you start down the hall and run and, and leap onto the waterbed? Yeah, but you could, we were lectured about that. Yeah. The waterbeds have a lot more downside than any other kind of mattress. Well, we'll see about that. Things could go catastrophically wrong. But I'm guessing that they had a, um, you know, what, what we call a free flow waterbed, 
a, a waterbed that was just a giant bag of yes. water. So if you hit one end of it, it would slosh and big it waves. Would, it would and make stuff. it would make billows, That's and it was exciting. and it was enclosed in a whole a whole big kind of luxurious padded thing that conveyed the waterbed lifestyle. I think maybe with a maybe it had some attached seating area at the foot of it okay. and a big elaborate head. Um, I mean, it wasn't round or heart shaped, but it was a very elaborate centerpiece for a, uh, a bedroom at a time when, you know, really, I don't think I'd seen a king sized bed very commonly. What did the headboard have a mirror? <laughs> I believe the headboard might've had some kind of a, a padding. Yeah. It might've been upholstered. Yeah. And, and, and the edge of the bed upholstered. I think so. Yeah. I'm, I'm picture, I'm trying to picture the rim of their bed. It was softer padded in some way. Sure. Sure. It would be tough to run and jump on it and hit. Like a corner of plywood, that yes. would suck. But I don't really know what they thought they were conveying. Like if that was their, was it an an older person's orthopedic choice? Mm-hmm. Or was it a, a young person's hip choice? Mm-hmm. And they're no longer around to ask. They were greatest generation people. They were. Both yeah. of them had fought in World War II. Um, was it on the second floor of their house or the first floor? Or did they live in a ranch style home? They had a two-story house, but they had built out the you know the the nicer bedroom was upstairs, but they had actually built on an addition downstairs, which turned out to be fortuitous as they started to age. Yes, and wanted to deal with stairs left. So they had kind of built on a new master suite. We're not supposed to say master master bedroom anymore, by the way. Did oh. you know it's it's oh it's because plantation it contaminated language. I see. I can't remember what real estate agents say now. The the largest bedroom? Grand suite? I don't know what you but, say. But you say but, you can't say master bedroom, but you can't say master suite? No, you can't oh, say I master see. anything. I see. Okay, okay, okay. Can't say master control program. Uh, but this had all the accoutrements that you would expect in the age of the master bedroom. It had a, a ensuite bathroom and a walk-in closet. And, yeah, yeah. Um, and the rest of their older home did not. So this was the room that was built around the water. Bed. Where did they live? Uh, just outside Eugene, Oregon. Oh, you said they were Southern. But I guess Eugene's pretty far south. They are southern. They both came from uh, what, Texas, Oklahoma. Oh, yeah. One yeah. of them from the Texas, Oklahoma border, one from Texas Panhandle, and then moved northwest after the war. Uh, originally, I think... Uh, to escape the smell of raw gasoline, raw, <laughs> raw oil. Well, they moved to Hanford, so it was not the right, oh. it was not the right way to get uh, energy safety in your lifestyle. Or all the benefits of the northwest. <laughs> No, but later wound up in in Seattle in uh, in a sales job, and then bought twenty acres in Oregon later. Well, the waterbed has uh, a surprisingly long history, really. And there is a the a, a an argument, a therapeutic argument for waterbeds that's been made uh, many times over the centuries. The earliest recorded reference to a waterbed is in the Bible. Uh, is there one in the Bible? No, it predates the Bible. What? Uh, it goes back to ancient Persia where, uh, there was at least recorded examples of goat skins filled with water, heated by the sun and used as like, um, comfort for olds and also maybe, uh, royal lounge loungewear because bed technology would have been terrible back then for your average person. I mean, it's not going to be a board, but it might be, you know, the softest mattress is going to be straw or something. Have you ever slept on a straw or horsehair filled mattress? I don't believe so. I cannot recommend them. They are hard and also pokey. I guess I've slept on, on Asian floors on futons, on futons, you know, whatever the equivalent is. Although by this time it was probably some kind of synthetic padding and not straw ticking. I bet a futon would have been a luxurious item in ancient Persia. They would have murdered their entire <laughs> family to get just one futon. But I don't think a warm water-filled goat skin was available to every person in Persia. It seems like a thing you'd have to... Did they have really good state-sponsored health care? You'd have to have a spare goat skin, first of all, and one that could hold water. Yeah, the water tightness of a goat skin... I mean, are there a series of goatskins? Your average Persian might be bigger than your average uh, water-filled goat. It feels more like a thing that you would lounge against rather right. than fully a bed. Right. It's like a body pillow. Yeah. The the and but you but you hear about waterbeds, you know, kind of referenced uh, throughout time. It, you know, like every once in a while, it keeps getting discovered. Yeah, but uh, but kind of you know like um, alluded to. 
but in most cases, it's really like a way to be a way to float on water. Um, not really a fully realized waterbed. The first waterbed in modern times actually was, I guess, invented in 1833 by a, a doctor by the name of Dr. Neil Arnott. And he was trying to, was trying to solve for bed sores or not solve for bed sores, but solve bed sores. It's an anti-bed sore doctor. And he conceived of a kind of a water filled container, a tank of water that was covered with a rubberized piece of canvas and sealed around the edges so that you could be basically floating on top of water, but on this, you know, comfortable sort of rubberized mattress or, or, or I'm sorry, rubberized. It conforms to your body. And, it, and what it does is it distributes your weight much more evenly than if you're on a And the problem with bed sores is that certain specific load bearing points end up get the brunt of it. Right. Huh. And did it work? Well, he, it did. He didn't patent it. Uh, he, he kind of, uh, open sourced it said, this is an idea that everybody should try. You know, it was more a more a discovery rather than an invention. He uh, he called it the hydrostatic bed, mm. and the problem was that laying on a bed of water, um, the water gets cold. Your body heat is is not sufficient to heat it. In fact, the the cold the cooling water actually takes heat away from your body, and there wasn't really any way effective way to heat the hydrostatic bed. I have definitely filled an air mattress in a very cold house and then tried to spend the night on a cold air filled hollow goat skin. And it's not pleasant. No, it's freezing. There's no level of blanket insulation that will help you get over the fact that you are, because as the house heats up, there's still cold air in the damn air mattress because <laughs> the furnace was still kicking in when we got there. And you're just well aware that you're above a, a freezing ice void all night. And if you try to if you try to counteract that by putting layers of padding and insulation on top of the water mattress, what you do is negate the benefits of the water. Right. You know, then now you're on a mattress. You've created a new mattress between you and the mattress. But the idea was intriguing. And throughout the 19th century, there were there were multiple attempts to create new versions, hydrostatic mattresses did not go away. They, you know, were kind of continually, uh, not reinvented. People knew that they existed and, but, but they were homemade, uh, mm. devices often used by doctors as therapeutic off, uh, devices. Often, you know, you'd find one in a hospital. Mark Twain made reference to one in a story like they were, it was a thing that was understood to, be effective, but also never really caught on. But because of the, it's elaborate. Uh, it takes a lot of infrastructure. Yeah, it's a big operation, and also, also they just they don't stay warm, and that made them ultimately impractical to be, you know, to be whatever uh, a, a, a regular bedroom item, yeah. right? And. It wasn't until the mid-century that no less than Robert Heinlein, the science fiction writer, the science fiction writer started to describe his future bed, which was basically the modern waterbed. He um, he talked about its construction. He talked about its. Uh, how you would keep it warm, uh, how it would be, you do, know, do kind you know of, which of his stories this is. Or? Uh, yeah. He, he refers to the waterbed multiple times. Oh, it's, it's some of the juveniles beyond this horizon. And oh, I've read double star. Double star is actually really good. Yeah. I just read double star for the first time in a library of America collection. But also some of his famous books, stranger in a strange, stranger land. in a strange land. He's got a reference to waterbed. All those guys love, um, the, uh, the home technology of tomorrow. Uh, he, uh, the space cadets awoke and got into their sonic shower, and then they they ate their breakfast cubes from the oven machine. Right. I love that kind of stuff. And he 
he uh, he talked about it with enough detail that later on, when the waterbed was rediscovered, uh, it became a patent issue. Oh, Heinlein! Heinlein went to the went to just taking people to patent court. Well, no, he didn't. But the patent court said, uh, oh, right. you know, like, prior art, prior art. Yeah, and he he was sort of proud to have invented it, but he made no claim over it. And it wasn't until the uh, I mean, I wouldn't either, because Arthur C. Clarke invented you know global geostationary satellites and. Uh, Heinlein just invented the waterbed. Yeah. So. Well, among other things, he also had food cubes and uh, <laughs> that's right, sonic showers. But it wasn't until the the mid '60s that vinyl had undergone. You know, vinyl was introduced in the in the early part of the century, but it wasn't until the the late '60s that vinyl had become a kind of mass available um, and supple plastic. What would what would you call it? Yeah, synthetic, synthet, synthetic uh, rubber, rubber, whatever it is. It wasn't until the '60s that it was that it was really a commonly available material that you could conceivably make things out and of, and quickly became stylish. Right? It was a marker of modernity. It was to and have it, things made of vinyl instead of you know very easy to clean. Very uh, you know the 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 we think of it. We we yeah. wouldn't describe it as supple now. But compared to a horsehair-filled mattress, it was pretty supple. I mean, today, a lot of those kind of polyester-like products are punchlines. But at the time, it seemed like the next big thing that's so easy to clean and look how this, you know, look how this drapes. And Well, the, the punchline nature of things like vinyl and polyester is, I think, uh, understood in, in those... Um, in uh, you know the artificial fabric communities as being a result of a kind of race to the bottom of price mm-hmm. later on you know initially rayon was a, a very expensive fabric like a like a luxury fabric and it was only in the 70s when companies were like no 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 you can you know well, here's a polyester shirt we'll just figure out a way to make it that's cheaper than cotton yeah that it became that it by the 80s it was considered a garbage fabric and this happened with waterbeds too, as we'll see. But in the late 60s, a, a guy by the name of Charlie Hall was going to San Francisco State, and he was getting a master's degree in design. And he was kind of influenced by the, you know, that that uh, mid-century modern movement where everybody was trying to reinvent the chair. You know, it's like, oh no, this chair, you know, all that design wasn't right. just to look pretty. It was It was all meant to be like, no, 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 we never... We never really understood what a chair should be. And then all of those chairs were incredibly uncomfortable. So it turned out, no, it was just design. Even all of, like, even the nice ones, like the ones that stuck around? I don't know. Is an Eames chair? Have you ever sat in an Eames chair? I mean, I guess if they're perfectly calibrated, they're pretty comfortable. And maybe if you don't have any kind of back or joint troubles. But the elderly don't want to get out of a weird slung back chair. And your Eames chair can get, you know, those springs can be not, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm heavy, right? So I sit in an Eames chair and it immediately goes bonk and falls backwards. And then I'm trying to get my feet on the ottoman. It's never been comfortable for me. Although they do make big ones. that They might not even be Eames, but they're, there are like... Eames chairs for the heftier gentleman? Yes, yeah, slightly larger, <laughs> like, di- like Mr. dimensional. Bi- Mr. Big and Tall and Scandinavian? <laughs> I've never sat in one, though. But Charlie Hall was trying to reinvent the chair. And he got some... You know, he got industrial vinyl, and the first thing he thought was, well, what if I fill it with cornstarch, right? Like, beanbag chair is too formless and too, you know, it's... The beanbag chair already existed, right? Yeah, and it's nice if you're a kid, you can jump into a beanbag chair, but, like, he wanted it to be more of a a piece of furniture. And so he took a beanbag, or he took a, uh, you know, vinyl bag, and he filled it with cornstarch. He was like, what about this? Like, it holds its shape. Problem with cornstarch was it's not, it's just like filling it with cement. Yeah. You know, it, it doesn't not actually, soft. it doesn't actually shape to you. Though. Yeah. Not super comfortable. So he was like, well, what if I fill it with gelatin? And so he filled a chair with jello. Um, that also kind of didn't 
it's too too splugy and also kind of gross. And why does it have mandarin segments in it? Yeah, you can't it, even it, see them. You don't it's sort of, well, no, it's not Nebraska Jello. It was <laughs> you know, but it kind of ugh, just felt heavy, but not comfortable. Mm-hmm. And his third attempt was to make a sort of mattress-sized bag and just fill it with warm water. And he had the, I like how there's three attempts like a fairy tale. Yeah, that's right. But the third one know, was just one. right. And he actually had the idea to to, you know, to embed a heater in it and to have a a a valve where you could fill it with water and seal it and you know, he had he the waterbed was he conceived of it in all its way. It's like the Fender Telecaster, right? The first time it was like, you got it. There it is. It's the same as all the waterbeds you can buy today. Mhm. And he built what was essentially the same design as your grandparents' waterbed, uh, a plywood box that sat on a platform. Yeah. And this was his master's thesis. He basically presented this to his design class. And it was immediately a hit with all the, the kids in his class. Everybody climbed on it. Um, he described it as, you know, for the rest of the day, everybody was just frolicking on the waterbed. What was what was upkeep like? I mean, did you have to event? Did you have to like? Is like a hot tub? You have to drain it and refill it once a year. Well, there are problems with do you algae. Get, do you get mildew, yeah. But if you put just a little teaspoon or you know a thimble of Clorox bleach in there, it doesn't. You know, the algae won't grow. What does that mean? It's good for years. I think. Thinking back to my dad, he. Didn't drain his waterbed yeah, very I'm, often. If my grandparents ever drained theirs, I'm not aware. No, I think that it. I think that they're pretty. Uh, they're pretty static. Yeah. Um. And it, uh, you know, contained within this box, depending on how how much you filled the bag. I and, mean, you and could, could you do that to taste? Like, yeah. like, like putting a sleep number in a mattress today. Yeah, if you filled the bag kind of all the way up, you could. It would be stiffer. Um, it would kind of control the wave action. If you if you took took some water out, it would be wavier. You know, there's there's too little water, and then it's just saggy. Some people must have liked the waviness. You know, the kind of people who are put to sleep by a gentle rocking motion. Like that's a feature, not a bug. Yeah. Well, for the, some people, not for me. For it to be wavy, like as soon as you settle down, you know, you actually kind of sink into it. I mean, that's. It, the, the two go hand in hand. But the problem is you got two people in a bed often. Right. And as soon as one person rolls over, you're going to be bobbing for an hour. And maybe that's soothing and maybe it's not. Yeah. And that is that was a a, a major factor in having a waterbed as a couple. Um, if one person tosses and turns, the other one's getting bounced off the bed. Where, uh, whereas today, they, it's an advertise. You know, the, you see the ads where somebody drops a bowling ball on one side. And the other person's happily asleep, like, oh, you, you don't have to mess up, wake up your spouse. So, yeah, that was a development a little bit later. So, actually, Charlie Hall tried to patent the waterbed, and the courts referred to Robert Heinlein's prior art. And so, Charlie— Who is, who is this judge who's so familiar <laughs> with um, Podcane of Mars and all the— I Hotline. think, uh, weren't those, uh, wasn't science fiction required, required reading in uh, law schools at the time? Probably. Yeah, There's probably a lot of overlap. You know, you want to anticipate the future. You <laughs> go to see 2001 A Space Odyssey and you're like, what are the laws governing this colony? <laughs> you know what's coming up, John, is June 9th. June 9th. June 9th. 6-9. Tushy, Hello Tushy's biggest sales of the year for reasons that are not really clear and perhaps lost in the mists of time. Huh? They have a big sale every year on June 9th. So Tushy is, is the bidet company, the sophisticated, uh, toilet seat. Finally, a sophisticated modern bidet for the young now hip people of now. And they're celebrating six, nine day. Yes. On June 9th, 2022. Which means if you have often heard us talking about what a positive lifestyle accoutrement, a bidet attachment to yes. your toilet is, this is a a great chance to hop aboard. So, ooh, hop on board. Hop on board. The, Get, hop on up there, the, kiddo. The tushy train is leaving the station. It's a train now in this uh, analogy. Uh-huh, uh-huh. On 6-9. On 6-9. Six, nine. Six, six, nine, nine, tushy once, day. Once a year. Uh, so what, You don't need electricity. You don't need extra plumbing 
You don't need to get on FaceTime to watch instructional videos. It's just water. It's just a... It's just water that cleans you from the toilet and cuts your toilet paper use by 80%, which means it's basically free. You'll, you'll, it'll pay for itself in a month or two of normal toilet use. You know, I have a relative, close relative, who was describing uh, their experience using the Tushy uh, water cleanliness system. The WCS. And... Uh, and they were saying that it was awesome. How grateful they were to. That's a heck of a story, John. Yeah, how grateful they were to have this product because they were like, I don't, I, I, and I said, why? You know, they're an older person. I said, why are you, why? And they were like, I just got tired of using toilet paper. And, and I realized. It's such a bummer to use toilet paper. I realized all the time. I'm tired of it too. I'm tired of it. And, yeah, you it, know, and I celebrate six, nine. I was a bidet skeptical person who lived in Europe for years without once using the bidet, mm-hmm. kind of thinking it was funny, mm-hmm. kept my pet turtle in there. Mm-hmm. And uh, it took like a week of trying out uh, a toilet attachment, or I mean, maybe a single trip to Japan to realize there is a better way and toilet paper crumblers are not using it. Well, anyway, this is your opportunity, our listeners. If you celebrate June 9th, the famous... That famous, that famous bidet. There must be some pun on bidet and day that they could be using. That that would be better if we were writing their copy. It's true, I, but I don't know if and I would have made six nine six nine a holiday. Well, let's get, why don't you workshop some of your bidet day uh, uh, work? I don't have anything now. A bidet. B- bidet of remembrance. Oh, that's not that's bad. Not, that's not bad. Uh, it's um, oh happy bidet. Oh happy bidet. Happy day. This, this June 9th, give the gift of a clean butt by going to hellotushy.com slash omnibus. Then enter the promo code 69 and you will get, this is a pretty good deal, 30% Whoa, off. Oh, that's a good deal. So the promo code is 69, but that's spelled out S-I-X. Oh, yeah. N-I-N-E. I should have said that. It's not the digits 69. No, because that wouldn't be a very good promo code. Go to hellotushy.com slash omnibus. Enter promo code 69, S-I-X-N-I-N-E. 30% off. The numbers here to know are 6, 9, 30, and 1. That's one happy customer, you. Hellotushy.com slash omnibus. Charlie Hall ended up, you know, getting very specific in his patent application and was granted a patent in 1971. And opened a business called Inner Space Environments. Bay Area? Bay Area. Bay Area Company. What year is this? 71. It was when his patent was was granted, although he invent, you know, he technically invented it in in the late 60s. And it was already uh it, it became very quickly a popular counterculture bed. Um the Smothers Brothers bought one. I think Grace I, Slick had one. Who knew the Smothers Brothers slept together? I know, right? Just one, and it was a and it was a a, a twin size. Uh, Hugh Hefner famously had one, a giant one that he that he covered with a skin of Tasmanian possum. What? Like a like a like a coverlet of that's like not a, even a like a king size Tasmanian possum. Blanket. Is it like the Tasmanian devil? <laughs> <laughs> That's what it sounded like at the Playboy he, Mansion. I didn't know Hugh Hefner knew the sexiest, softest fabrics of the Southern Hemisphere, but I guess it stands to reason. Now, let me ask you this. My memory of the waterbed era is there was always kind of a, you know, waterbed jokes always um, were centered around the fact that there was something uh, very like sexy and sybaritic about the waterbed lifestyle was that a selling point was there going to be a winking salesman telling you how uh what the waterbed was going to do for your love life it came on almost immediately uh that it was a a bed that was associated with the sexual revolution and it was a bed that was also seen as modern like and and so connected to alternative culture because alternative culture posited that it was a new modern way of thinking and living. Yeah. Um, so if you were an old square on an old, what they called dead bed, this was, <gasps> yeah. A, they had a, they had a, a bad name for regular beds. A dead bed. What do they call those? Retronyms. Yeah. Retronyms. The, the word you have to coin like, uh, like, um, optical camera or something. 
So if you were like an old gram- grandma on a dead bed, then you probably didn't want a water bed. But if you were a young person who was free and fun, uh, what could be more fun than than one of these fun beds? And and Charlie Hall's company was called Inner Space Environments, but he called his beds pleasure pits. Mm. And all of the the advertising in the early days was all double entendre and full of innuendo. Like they said, Oh, you know, your waterbed is, uh, is, you know, good for, there are two reasons to get a waterbed and one of them is to sleep better. That type of lol, but also honk honk. I guess that's how you get people to change up their bedroom set. It's, um, they're pretty inexpensive. Is that right? Well, at the time, no, at the time they were, um, you know, this was a premium product. They were not widely available. I mean, if you're just getting the vinyl thing, but the thing a was, shell and a heater. You could just get a bag and a yeah. heater, but really, it was an opportunity to sell you a whole new set of furniture because right. you needed this plywood bed, and you'd want that to match the uh, nightstand. That's right, and and they had this sort of you know already uh, that kind of like. That sort of tuck and roll upholstery of, you know, style of vinyl upholstery that yeah. was popular in low rider cars and on, on cool amplifiers. Um, Did you see the movie Licorice Pizza? So Licorice Pizza is a, a version of, uh, you know, it's a retelling of this very time. It, and the, It's in the valley. Yeah. The waterbed is at this point kind of... Um, spreading throughout California. And suddenly dealerships or, or showrooms are just popping up. Yeah, and, and the, the Licorice Pizza is the the kind of, um, you know, semi-true story of uh, Paul Thomas Anderson's high school friend, Gary Gertzman, right. who started his own, in high school, started his own waterbed store called Fat Bernie's Environmental Living. Um. And this is, you know, kind of a takeoff on inner space environments. And in the early days, these waterbed stores, you know, became sites of kind of happenings. Like it was the waterbed section of department stores became sort of a singles mingling spot. The cool be-in part of the store. Yeah, people would go to waterbed stores and just kind of like hang out and, and bob around. So waterbeds were both countercultural, but also became symbols of of modern affluence. Um, and this was about the time my dad got his waterbed. I think he had it as early as seventy six, maybe. And his waterbed was an octagonal shaped, <gasps> bigger than a king bed. It was. Enormous. It took up the entire what's, room. What's bigger than a California king, an Alaska king? An Alaska octagonal <laughs> king queen. It was upholstered all the way around in brown vinyl. It had a... a uh, On all eight sides. It had a headboard. How, that, does, how do you even get into an octagonal bed? I mean... <laughs> well, you run and jump. <laughs> you run and jump. It had a headboard that... that uh, that represented three sides of the octagon uh, that had, boy, I don't know, candlesticks and mirrors and uh, a winch. I mean, it had a lot going what, what on. What was going on in your dad's love life at this time, do you think? Well, he was in his 50s and he was single and ready to mingle, I guess. But more than that, you know, my dad played sports in his youth and had a bad back and the waterbed was also being at this point um, pushed as a basically a hydrostatic cure for bad back. For you know, after he got rid of the waterbed, he always had a piece of of three quarter inch plywood under every mattress between the mattress and the box spring, in order to give him a stiff support for his for his bad back. And I think the Although now I would think a waterbed would be really terrible if you had a bad back because you're just like sinking in all curve curvature of the spine. 
What can we talk about? It's. I mean, it seems like it would be impractical for that, and for the uh, the second thing it's being marketed for, like like in practice, it doesn't seem like an ideal pleasure pit. Uh, it seems like you would want a little more resistance for a lot of romantic uses of a mattress. Well, one of the one of the early slogans suggested uh, that with a waterbed, you would have to only move once. For every three motions that it's, you, it's like one of those hotel jiggle beds. Yeah, you, well, no, except except it's your own motion. Like you move your butt, and then you get two free moves of your butt for that for that effort. That's what I hate about my bed. Boom, Why is it boom, not moving boom, my butt twice boom, as much as boom, I am? Boom, 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 boom. So I'm so I guess, sick of my bed not moving my butt. Well, you're you're sleeping on a dead bed. Uh, I think if you got if you incorporated the waterbed as a third friend in your relationship, and you could get into the you know the motion of the ocean, every act of threesome um, that you could maybe develop a, a good R R H Y T H M. So people, so there was no pushback. There was never any kind of actually. Uh, it's very many many positions and activities would be difficult in this bed. I think probably people. I don't have any first ed experience here. I don't know. People discovered it over time, and and part of that was uh, produced the later innovations within the waterbed world, which you know were attempts to reduce wave action by introducing uh, different chambers within the mattress itself. Oh, is that a thing that happened? So what, you know, what does that mean? You put you put foam chambers within the bed so that if you started a motion over on your right side, it wouldn't actually, you know, it would be interrupted by these chambers within. Like the Titanic. Exactly. Except <laughs> waterproof doors. <laughs> except without the the area on the top where the water could just slosh over. And as as time has gone on, uh, the technology evolved so that waterbeds uh, no longer needed the supporting sides, the box of plywood, you can buy just, now a soft-sided waterbed that just looks looks and acts like a mattress. It's just some stiffer synthetic on the sides or something? Foam all around the outsides, foam in a matrix in the middle, so that the 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 water aspect, the bladders internally uh-huh. that, that hold the water, um, you know, they... They still have the benefit of the kind of uh, pliability and warmth of a waterbed, but without the sloshing. And you can just put it on a normal bed, normal box just put spring. Put it on a box spring, and it just—you the... wouldn't even know it was a waterbed until you climbed on it, and you were like, "Whoa, this is no dead bed." And are people still doing? Are swingers still doing that? Well, what happened is in throughout the eighties. I mean, waterbeds continued to evolve reputationally and in the eighties actually saw, um, their greatest popularity. They became a very mainstream bed. I guess that's when my square grandparents bought them. Yeah. And, and the advert, you know, the, the, um, the argument for them was first of all, they're very easy to clean. Um, bed mites, dust mites cannot, live on a waterbed if you, you just you might get brine shrimp i guess you know but all you have to do is spray it with a little windex and wipe it down and you're not going to get bed bugs you're not going to get all these uh, allergens and right. and mites um and as the waterbed became less a a signifier of like swinger sex culture and more just a thing that you would have if you were of a, of a certain social class. Yeah, a certain yeah. social class, and if you if you wanted a like a it, it was basically like a heating pad, um, but but also you know kind of cool, kind of groovy. Except still hard to get into, hard to get out of, probably not super romantic in many ways. Well, by 1987, 87, I was surprised to learn this. They represented 22% of all bed sales. Wow. One in five, or more than one in five beds was a water bed. But they started to suffer from cheap knockoffs, right? It doesn't, as you said, it doesn't take much to fill a vinyl bag full of water. It's a race to the bottom, right? And so the 
the vision of them as a, and this happened to futons too. When futons first arrived, you were like, wow, how cool, like an Asian. And I, I mean, the first futon I bought in 1991 was sold for $99 out of the back of a guy's truck. So those, those fell pretty far, pretty fast. With cheap uh, college apartment, Ikea furniture. And that's what happened to waterbeds. Uh, they were easy to make and pretty soon they were being sold, you know, out of the back of a, of a shipping container and the other, you know, the, the high quality waterbed folks had to, had to undercut in order to get people in and, and eventually, you know, or they, they were making their money back by selling furniture sets. But as soon as a waterbed, as soon as you saw them priced for $99, it, it stopped being, uh, it stopped having that imprimatur of of grace and grandeur but gary gertzman had already made his money and was had become tom hanks's production partner oh yeah he was living on a he was living on a helicopter by then (laughs) but uh but charlie hall was still selling waterbeds uh and then of course you know the right about the early 90s tempur-pedic was introduced all these different Sort of adjustable beds. It's the same and, niche. Yeah. You are a person of substance and, and success. You know, you need a next generation bed, not your parents' bed. Well, and you want to stay up reading and your wife wants to go to sleep and here's your, you know, this is going to... You got to sell everything as a lifestyle accessory because then you can charge more for it. Maybe not coincidentally, but a waterbed uh, played a major role in Nightmare on Elm Street. That's true. Except it's full of blood. That is correct. Yeah, that gag does not work on a dead bed. No. Uh, and uh, uh, there's a waterbed in Edward Scissorhands, played to great comedic effect, because why would you give Edward Scissorhands a waterbed? Man, it's it's just a recipe for comedy right there Am in I the right? suburbs. Uh, the You know, sheets have were always hard to find for waterbeds because they're not, you know, they... They splooge out. They're not conventionally sized. Or they were the wrong. They were not normal sizes. Well, as soon as you fill it with water, like it's that's true. And this and this, you know, the movement means the sheet really has to be anchored well, right. or, else, they, or else it comes loose. I mean, Dad's. However, he did this. It must have been sold with the waterbed, but he had sets of big round sheets, octagonal. Like, yeah, like uh, like like fitted sheets that you would pushed down under this giant bladder. We had a lovely time uh, owning that bed. You know, we would, my sister and I would climb in bed with them and watch television on this giant heated round fun it was house bladder. But also there became a, you know, a kind of widespread urban myth that water beds would fall through the floor if your house wasn't built to, you know, to sturdy standards. Is that true? It was so much heavier than a regular bed? Well, no, because the, the weight is distributed across the whole footprint of the bed. So it's not any heavier than a refrigerator. Mm. Um, but it was, you know, it, it was a myth enough that apartment buildings started to ban them. Oh. And then increasingly it was a, it was a fashion among property owners to ban water beds and you know of course a water bed is inconvenient um if you ever have to drain it if you ever have to move you know a wa- emptying a water bed and taking it all apart and i assume it came with hoses so, such that you could empty it and fill it from a bathtub yeah but you needed a pump oh, to get the water right? all the way out and um yeah, that's right. you know and then you've got a kind of damp bag that you've got to figure out a way to, it's just, it's not impossible. It's not any harder to move than a giant aquarium probably, but just a pain in the neck. And they just fell out of, they fell out of fashion kind of right when the technology got to the point where they were workable for the first time. Yeah. And they were, they were cool, but they just weren't cool anymore. Probably the, the, what you're talking about, the decline of synthetics as a marker of, uh, of modernity. Is kind of the problem. I mean, well, that and also, uh, I think in the age of AIDS mm. and the end of the sexual revolution, there was a backlash against the 
what was kind of considered a corny. Do you remember how swinger thing? Yeah. Do you remember how declasse the Playboy Mansion seemed? Yeah. By the by the late eighties, early nineties. When it became correctly. I mean, we we would we would uh, point to the you know the bell bottomed open collar shirt swinger guy with a coke spoon necklace leisure suit Larry. Yeah, was the pejorative, right? It was just a. It was like the lamest thing you could possibly be, and I think waterbeds were a victim of that same backlash. We had accurately discovered that sex was a little bit icky. It's pretty icky, especially if you're especially. having sex on a warm plastic bag. <laughs> what if they had just called it sex on a warm plastic bag? Hello. I think that's your, that's your ad slogan right there. Well, waterbeds are making a comeback. Um, what? The technology has improved to the point that waterbeds are... You don't have to buy a whole new furniture set or a whole new set of sheets. You can buy a king-size waterbed, and it just looks like a king-size bed until you climb on it. And it's a warm, soft, but not wavy, not sloshy. It's firmer. You you still have to fill it yourself, and there still has to be a heater. Yep. But it's just like a... Yeah. A nice form-fitting bed instead of a... It gives, but without, uh, without seeming too... Without being gross, I mean, you only have to heat a waterbed to about eighty-three degrees because it, that's your that's our skin skin temperature. Like you can turn a waterbed up too high. I like a cool bed, yeah. also. Right, so you can choose how warm it is. Um, you know that there was part of the backlash against them was that they were expensive to heat, but it's really only two hundred bucks or less a year. That's at probably the more efficient now than it was in the seventies. Yeah. And, you know, I think in cold climates, it's probably, I mean, it's easier than leaving your thermostat up to keep your room above freezing, as I do. I set my thermostat to 60 degrees at night because I like a cool bed, too. Yeah. But But, just... But you're single, and that helps you make eccentric decisions like that. uh Uh-huh. It's a war. That's if right. I, I, it's a war if I want to set the thermostat for sixty. I don't have to. I don't have to argue with anybody. That temperature goes down to sixty, and I'm the only one that's going to complain. That's me in a hotel room. Like, how <laughs> cold can I get this room? And then, how many blankets can I put on me? Mindy won't have it, huh? Uh, I think she likes a warm room. And she a, likes and a, a slightly warm. And, and I'm Mr. not a ton of blankets. And I'm Mister. Yeah, I'm Mister. Let's open the window. So it's a right. classic. Classic odd couple scenario. You know, I discovered a thing in in uh, uh, not very long ago, actually, which is this is a thought technology for you. Are you ready? Okay. Each person in the bed has a different blanket. Oh. So you know, you make yeah. the bed and it's got one blanket, but at night you divvy up the blankets. Here's your blanket. Here's my blanket. I want to start marketing um, a single blanket that varies on. In, oh. in weight and fabric on different sides. So you can, so you still have the one blanket tucked in on both sides. You don't have some uh-huh. blanket scooching scenario because there's nowhere to tuck them in in the middle. Right. So to avoid the scooching scenario, you want one blanket tucked in, but it's a lightweight blanket for me and a heavier blanket for the missus. Yeah, one side is a quilt and the other side is Tasmanian possum. Just recently, there has been a new evolution in waterbed culture. Carbonated waterbeds. Not carbonated waterbeds, waterbeds for cows. <laughs> Finally. A company called... Finally, civilization is ready. The Dual Chambered Cow Waterbed Incorporated Company. <laughs> the DCCWI. Uh, realized that cows often experience what are bed sores, um, oh, no. hay sores, because cows, you may be surprised to learn, sleep a lot. Yeah. And there's a kind of heavy. There's a misunderstanding that cows sleep standing up. They don't very often. I mean, they, they, they doze standing up. And we've probably bred them to be a little heavier than what nature had intended given their other limitations. They're a little chonk. And so they like to sit down. They sleep in barns. And, um, and they, you know, they do have wear and tear on the parts of their bodies that, uh, that sit on the hard, straw floor of the barn. And so uh, the DCCW invented cow water bits, which are uh, basically you buy a giant setup that's your whole, that goes across the, 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 the floor of the stalls where the cows spend their time. And it's a, 
I mean, it's a waterbed. There's no other way of putting it. And the cows seem to really enjoy the comfort of the sloshy uh, waterbed, which is, you know, presumably heated. And, um, and now cow waterbeds are kind of sweeping the, uh, that part of the cow raising community, milk cow people who know the names of their cows, you know, like, right. Like a slaughterhouse doesn't care. No, you're not going to put, you're not going to put cow waterbeds in a, in a, in a barn that has 1000 cows, but a little family farm making fancy cheeses. Yeah. If you've got a, if you've got 30 cows, so there are more and more people adopting this. This is popular in Australia. Now, um, more and more cattle raising folks are buying cow waterbeds, which almost certainly will make them seem like a luxury item again for, uh, affluent, Suburbanites. Is there, has there ever been a case where a, an invention was created for human luxury use and later, later percolated down to livestock? Well, yeah, milking machines. <laughs> and that concludes waterbeds. Entry 1413.IS5720. Certificate number 40450 in the omnibus. Uh, Futurelings, much as waterbeds are now deprecated cow-only technologies, we were still on social media. We still, Humans used to use social media before they became uh, only for livestock. Indeed, they did. Before you could find, find all your pets on, uh, uh, what? On uh, moo, moo Talk and... Uh, moo Talk. And Horse Me. <laughs> We were at Ken <laughs> Those Jennings. are websites, but not for not for your cat. We were at Ken Jennings and at John Roderick, jointly at Omnibus Project. Uh, we received email at theomnibusproject at gmail.com. Please send us your waterbed stories. Yes, please. Send us your sexy waterbed stories. Yes, and, please. And we will have a special penthouse forum edition of the uh, <laughs> addenda next month. You could send us physical items to... Omnibus Project, P.O. Box 55744, Shoreline, Washington, 98155. This one I haven't even opened yet. I don't know what this mystery object is. Dear Bongo No, a book by James Osborne, forward by Kung Fu Jimmy. Here are the, here are the five magic words you always want to see on any book. Yes. Forward by Kung Fu Jimmy. Dear Bongo No, is there any punctuation in that? There is not. There's just a picture of a potted plant. Dear Bongo, no. Uh, this is from the author, James Osborne, who has read some of my books and hopped freight trains Hello. in my youth. He also Hello, walked, across, he walked across Europe, John. No, he Look, did everybody's not. doing he it. He did not. Um, it was naughty. the naughtiest theme entry inspired him to reach out because he had just finished an essay collection. He just finished writing it or reading it? I think writing it. I'm, tr- I'm looking at his book now to see if there's any Nadia's theme content. Oh, there is. There's a long book about the history, his own relationship with uh, Nadia. In fact, this chapter is called Cotton's Dream, oh. and, and he wants to uh, to fault you for saying Cotton's theme at some point in the show. And so, oh, Cotton's, Cotton's Dream. Dream. Thank you for that correction. Uh, yeah, that's, that's a fair cop, but you're the one who spelled forward F-O-R-W-A-R-D on the front of your book, James, Uh-oh. instead of F-O-R-E-W-O-R-D. I wasn't going to say anything until he started zinging you. Yeah, stop zinging um, me. But I'm excited to read the, uh, Nadia's theme content here. Thank you. J- oh, James Osborne is Kung Fu Jimmy. They're, they're one and the same. Well, wait, he wrote the forward to his own book? Yes, under a pseudonym. Oh, huh. okay. It's like sitting on your own hand. You gotta, you gotta sit on your own hand until it's numb. And then write the foreword to your own book. It's called The Old Literary Stranger. God loves you, dear, and you can sit on your hands. Thank you so much, James. Uh, we will uh, read it with pleasure. You can, um, you want, if you want to see the photos of the weird things people send us, that's one of the perks available on our Patreon, uh, Patreon page, patreon.com slash omnibusproject. Yep. Bonus episodes and... Uh, at the Washing Bear tier, you can actually recommend uh, subjects for uh, omnibus entries, including today's show. It was Paul who thought maybe there should be a show on waterbeds. 
He also suggested the Dumont Television Network, which is a pretty good idea. Huh. The fourth network of the um, late 40s, early 50s. But he gets waterbeds. Paul, that's all you get. Well done. Thank you. Congratulations. Thanks, Paul. Uh, find like-minded futurelings online on Facebook and Reddit and so forth. Uh, share your sexy waterbed stories with them and perhaps um, we should have, probably have, to have some kind of singles page. <sighs> You know, there, there, there's some argument on the Futurelings, within the Futurelings community, whether or not it's a, it should be open to singles mingling or whether it should be strictly um, non-sexual. Appreciation of us with no genitalia involved. I don't see how you could appreciate Omnibus without also feeling... Attracted to your fellow listeners. Yeah, well, that and, you know, and feeling like, hey, this might be where I find like-minded mates. But um, I don't know. It's up to you. Many of them are probably already paired off. Maybe there should be a separate Futurelings uh, mixer. Singles site. Site, yes. So you could have one or both. They might have that on Spork. Yeah, on on Moo Cow and uh, and Horse Me Now. Mm, Horse Me Now. Or forever hold your peace. Future links from our vantage point in your distant past, we have no idea how long our civilization survived. We hope and pray that the catastrophe we fear may never come. We wish you many goods and cheese and hope you come see us often. We're worried that if the worst comes soon, this recording, like all our recordings, may have been our final word. But if Providence allows, we hope to be back with you soon for another entry in the office.